Hey everybody, welcome to the Voxology Podcast. Mike Geary here, Tim Stafford here, and uh, we are that thrilled. Was high energy. Yeah, we are thrilled you to be a swimming. part of your life today. That's right, we're coming in hot. <laughs> and um, you know, Tim, I, th there's so much. There's so much happening in the world. There is. There's people with ventriloquist dummies. Oh my goodness! I said something at three thirty in the morning to uh, to Tim and Kevin that was just ridiculous. <laughs> Um, yes, we said we there. There are internet accounts that just show off the worst of cheesy or horrifying Christian subculture, and um, <laughs> we very often delight in sharing those things with each other. Because <laughs> I don't know, I I was the object of some of those things back, oh, you yeah. know, way back in the day. Um, Somebody but brought I, up. Did you ever see? Sorry. Did you ever see no. the um, those like the muscle men that would come through? And oh do, heck yeah! The I power team, dude. Yeah. The power <laughs> team. The, tear the notebooks or the phone books in half. And yes, kids. Yes. Uh, phone books were big um, <laughs> conglomerations of of pages, some white and some yellow, that held phone Yelp. numbers. Yes, that held phone numbers uh, and. Uh, it was amazing. You just couldn't type things into an internet, and it was. They're very you, thick and impossible to tear in half unless you had the. Unless you had the God. Holy Spirit, yes. Yeah. And then with the with the, the idea was these these were all like muscle, muscle bound sort of. They, they would perform big, big boys feats of strength and give glory <laughs> to God. Yeah. So hallelujah, hallelujah for that. Yes, I mean we could probably do a whole catalog. Yeah. Of awfulness. <laughs> um, but hey, somehow that was the same culture that brought us here. So, it's you true. know, you know, you kind of like, well, you know, no, no parents are perfect. Um, in, in our case, <laughs> <laughs> the American gladiators. <laughs> oh, God bless us. So, so Tim. Yeah. It's been a week, ladies it and has. gentlemen. It has been a week. Some may say it was more than one packed into one. Um, so yes, 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 yes. So some housekeeping, Tim. Yeah. We're doing a survey and what, yes. what needs to happen? <laughs> and we've made it as hard as possible, evidently, to yeah. accomplish this goal. Is you go right. to voxologypodcast.com. Yes, it's only one splash page right now. And at the very bottom of it, there's a big, let me just make sure I say the correct color. I Do believe it. it is orange. Yeah, it's part of our color palette. Nope, it's gray, but there's an orange envelope and an orange submit button. Nice. It's the only thing really on there other than listen to the podcast. And it says you enter your name and your email and then click the orange submit button. That puts your email into our system. And then and that you. survey, which has not come out yet, will come out to all the people <laughs> who are subscribed to, via email. So, yes. And let's just reassure people there will be no spam. Nope. That newsletter that it advertises does not come once a week, that likely not newsletter. once a month. So <laughs> you're not going to be bombarded with uh, voxology yes. information. Newsletters, and newsletters. we are we are an organization that's fitting for newsletters, no question. Yeah, a tightly tightly run ship. Speaking of tight run ship, um, oh. I want to thank Charlotte, and I want to thank Jamie, and I want to thank Angie and Eric for coming on the Patreon team this week. Um, no kidding, it's just a, a amazing that every week we get to say hi and thank you to somebody new. And we are so encouraged, and we do. There are schemes afoot in the Circle K. Um, <laughs> that is a Bill and Ted reference. Um, 
to uh, broaden kind of our conversations and focus and all the things that we're doing. And so the support like that really, really does help us and give us options beyond just putting out a podcast. And so um, we have a summit, a Voxology oh. summit um, that is tentatively planned for January. That includes all manner of shenanigans. Shenanigans. Um, and so anyway, uh, thank books. you. Thank you. You can go to patreon.com and hit uh, or type in Voxology podcast and we are right there. All right, we've got some questions, Tim. Before we jump into the last episode of, at least for now, the Bible series, we've got some questions, and these are some really good ones. And so um, I'm going to read them, and then, Tim, you and I um, are not going to give right answers. We'll just respond to them and <laughs> sort of see what happens. We're so grateful for the community, and, uh, and we get dozens and dozens of these. And um, so anyway, this is uh, from someone I'll call Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer says, Mike and Tim, I so enjoy this podcast. It helped me to navigate the cultural moment we're all walking through. I felt less alone in my thinking because of the topics Voxology covers, which is very cool. That's actually yes. one of the goals of our little operation here. I listen to a lot of podcasts while I work and a big theme I'm picking up on is the lack of discipleship in the church. Oh, no, no. It's not a lack of discipleship. There has been discipleship in the church. We've just discipled wrongly mm. and to the wrong things, but we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, she writes, I keep hearing that politics, news, and social media are currently doing the discipling of our church members to disastrous results of we, as, as we have seen played out over the last couple of years. My husband and I run a small campus ministry and have uh, combined... Uh, the Bible study time for that ministry with a small group uh, of our church. Part of this, part of the hope for this is that we would start talking about discipleship and making it a foundational part of the group. However, I'm quite uh, at a loss as to where to start. I would love for you guys to talk about what being a disciple of Jesus is and what discipling others looks like. Any resources you have would be helpful. So that's a fantastic question. So let's 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 start. First, by taking this very religious word, disciple, discipleship, and turn it into what is just an ordinary human concept, which is learning. Yeah. So um, to be a disciple, and, and I'm sure we've said this, and I've, I've said this multiple times, but it was, it was new to me once when I realized, oh, discipleship isn't a religious activity, it's a human activity. Discipleship is just learning to do or to be what someone else can yeah. do or is. That's all it is. If I'm going to learn how to play tennis and I want to play tennis well, I become a disciple of a tennis pro. And I go to the country club, let's say, in a very white example, and, <laughs> and I put my white shorts on and learn from the tennis pro, right? Uh, and the goal of my discipleship is um is to be able to perform not to learn tennis theory but to be able to hit the tennis ball the way the pro hits the tennis ball not and obviously that's a long way off and lots of practice but i'm learning the building blocks that make such sort of activity possible yeah so we apprentice ourselves all the time. So some of it is totally unwittingly and unconsciously, right? I mean, we our parents teach us how to live without even consciously teaching us how to live. We yeah, just pick our, up. Your country teaches you, you how to live. Without. There is a there is a patriotic narrative uh, that every country has, or a religious 
subculture that we picked up that didn't even have to explicitly say certain things, but we picked them up nevertheless. So we want to take discipleship away from a religious category and turn it into a human one. And it's one that we're always doing. We're always observing, we're always uh, watching, and we're always imitating. This is just what we do. Yeah. So um, if we're talking about discipling to Jesus, there are so many things that are involved in that. I'm just going to start riffing, Tim. I want you to interrupt um, and you know, call me names if I'm off if I'm off base here. But um, the the first thing is um, discipleship isn't separate from salvation. So it used to be I I was told that you become a Christian and then you so that's called justification, and then there's something called sanctification where you grow in Christ likeness. And I've, I've since realized that salvation isn't broken up like that. To be, sal- to be saved in the New Testament is to become, to be restored to, to, to being the image of God. I like and that all, word better. And all of that vocation and all of that identity, all right? Yeah. There's a whole bunch of vocation and identity built into that. So I'm not learning the goal of discipleship to Jesus isn't learning how to do religious things. Right. The goal is learning how to be fully human. Yeah. And that that comes as a direct result of salvation. And salvation on this account isn't the forgiveness of sins accomplished by Jesus on the cross. It includes that, but it's much bigger. It's the restoration of the image of God in me, which then leads inevitably to something called worship. And in, on the biblical account, worship is a life aligned to the purposes of God out of which alignment with the purposes of God happens, right, in real life. And so, so for me, discipleship isn't a religious concept. Secondly, it's not a religious activity. It's learning, um, it's learning how to be fully human. Um, any, any comments, Tim, so far? No, just that was, that was a lot right there. Well, you know, Tim. Justified, sanctified, restored. Yeah, bam. Worship. Yes. And then that lifelong uh, learning to live and to emulate Jesus, but also to be fully realized as what the intent was to be human, then also gives you a good frame for repentance as being a part of that. That's right. Long journey. Yes. Repentance is almost always conceived of as the turning from idolatry yeah. to the, to the re-picking up of Which the I true do worship. About nine, nine times a day. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm impressed it's that few, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I picture everything when I was a little kid, when I was really worried about dirty thoughts or like bad thoughts. I yes. would imagine that my head was a typewriter and I would literally like, I'm miming it for Mike, you guys can't see it, but like scroll the, what what is that called on a typewriter? Yeah, the ribbon? It has a name, I can't remember, but you, I'd scroll the dirty thought out of my head or the bad thought, tear it off, yep. crumple it up, and then nice. throw it in a make-believe wastebasket. But the, the something about the active part of playing that out was helpful to me. And so yeah. even now with like an idea of repentance, if there's something I, I think you, you defined repentance years ago in a sermon about like the physically turning away from something. It wasn't just like, cause we, we all grew up with repentance being like confession yeah, or like, you know, you're just saying like, Hey God, I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 and that was kind of repentance. But then this idea of actually turning away from something and facing a new direction and reposturing, and then moving. So I like 
I do that daily with like in a visual thing of like turning away from whatever it is that I'm being distracted by or whatever I'm participating in and, and like mentally put myself in a physical position where I'm turning away from it. Right. So there is multiple times a day, but it's helpful in that idea of like, if I'm trying to be fully realized, which, you know, whatever that means, but if I'm trying to live into being what I was intended to be, and to emulate Jesus, I have to like the idea of ter- completely turning away to reposture myself is very helpful for me. It, yes, I'll Tim that's so good because what it shows is that your disi- your idea of discipleship is directly connected and inevitably connected to yes. your idea of salvation. If salvation is forgiveness of sins, then discipleship becomes sin management. Yes. All of the ways in which I'm trying not to sin and dealing with yeah. my thir- dirty thoughts. Um, if discipleship is whole life restoration and renewal towards yeah. the image of God. And, and again, we can get far more specific about what that includes. Because of course, it includes outward manifestations. But totally. those are so not the point yeah. of the discipling work of Jesus at first. And um, and so... so understanding salvation as restoration to humanity leads to a far different conversation about discipleship. I'm not sure a beautiful and fully, you know, for lack of a better term, fully fleshed out. Yes. That's no, no, that's actually the best (laughs) word (laughs) because the movement in the Bible is always word to flesh, right? The word became flesh. And so the word of the gospel spoken and, and in its power and the reality it creates intersects a human life or community. And then that, that produces something in the world. Yeah. We're going to talk about what in just a little bit, but if I one more, one more little thing before you move on with oh, that totally. too, because you're the, since the new creation thing with sin being these cycles that we get caught in, man, I see that all day, every day. And like, just feeling like you're in the tumble, you know, tumble dry to yes. reference our friend, the dryer. And like, <laughs> I can see it and I can feel it. I can see it in myself all the time. I can see it in other people getting caught in these cycles and then seeing the ramifications of those cycles. I was talking to a friend the other day about something and we were seeing the fallout of one person's choices in all of the lives around them. Yep. And the choice that they made didn't necessarily have any intentions or anything in it that would affect the community at large, but it did anyway. Yes. And it's just like in that cycle, you just like, you see the ramifications of sin and death. Like you see, you can actually see it within the cycle conversation, the way it affects a large group, but also just being stuck. Yeah. And so when you think about that idea of repentance, just to tie it to that, and trying to break out of that cycle and being freed from that cycle or forgiven from it or whatever, saved from it, it's, it just makes so much more sense. And absolutely. It's, I don't know. Yes, I like it. Discipleship, great, great, great stuff, dude. Um, <laughs> I want to push I want to push forward. Yeah, yeah. Because we have two other questions before we get to the topic. Um, discipleship is a communal practice. Yeah. Uh, I was always told it's one-on-one, and I don't think that's what discipleship is. Discipleship is communal. Uh, it's a communal practice. Of course... There are pieces, you know, Paul will say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But he actually says that as a ministry team to a church. Um, And so, you know, there isn't this, hey, um, I have everything you need. 
and your goal is to become like me. No, no, no. The goal, again, the point we're going to make here in a little bit is that Jesus died to create a new social reality called the church. Okay? That's what his death brought about, among other things. Yeah. So discipling is, if it's discipling away from that understanding, then all we're doing is, is you know, baptizing individualism um, with, you know, Christian ideas and slogans and not doing anything to confront it. So, so all of those are just high sort of 30,000 feet. I hope Jennifer isn't super bored at this point. If I, if somebody <laughs> said to me, Hey, um, I, I, I want to be discipled. What would I do? Uh, one of my favorite, one of my all-time favorite Bible studies was with a group of cops who knew nothing about the Bible, and we went over the we went over the table of contents. Right. I just thought that was the greatest thing ever. But what I would do, and this gets really specific to your question, uh, is I would literally do nothing, not a darn thing, but pick up the book of Mark, grab a notebook. Have everyone read a chapter a week, show up with your questions, and then talk about um, how it is that we inhabit, as a small community, the practices of Jesus uh, and the patterns of his life. Yeah. And then after, because, because ultimately the, the goal isn't uh, to learn more about Jesus, although that will happen. That's always the byproduct. That's never the goal. The goal is something called, Paul calls the obedience of faith. And I know obedience isn't a super popular word and it's a power word or whatever, but that's not how Paul intends it. Obedience is just what happens um, when you worship. It's just it, you live a life in alignment with the purposes and work of God in the world. That's just all that is. And so yeah. we have to ravish people with a vision of life in God's kingdom um, and undisciple them. And so sitting in one of the gospels does that. And then once we've sat in one of the gospels, I'd go to the Sermon on the Mount, not surprising. And we would just spend time practicing um, repentance. So I, you know, um, instead of uh, cursing this enemy of mine, I'm going to practice blessing them. Yeah. Instead of um, instead of seeing seeing the opposite sex as objects, I'm going to pray unsurpassable worth over them. And again, some of these could all, all of this could turn cliche, absolutely, and just performative, or they could be um, witnesses to the reality of this this social reality called the you know the kingdom of God, um, and their practices out of which we begin to engage as new creation people. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if I if I if I look around my life and I see myself as an agent of blessing and not cursing, then that leads me to live in certain ways that totally. the Bible would deem as new creation. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to be discipled into. I'm not trying to be discipled into new behavior. I'm I'm trying to be totally reoriented in how I understand myself, my role in the world, and what God is up to. And of course, it's like world building, right? I mean, yes. what the Gospels do is they build a world for us to inhabit. And yeah. then we practice inhabiting that world by doing the things that Jesus says are valued in the world that he is pointing to. Yeah. And so whether it's humility or generosity <clears throat> or kindness or justice or whatever, like we're stepping into those realities as a big or small community. Yeah. And then we're just learning because ultimately, um, you know, and Jesus even says this, don't, 
there is a cost. There is a cost to following me, but the cost of not following is greater. And right. you have to see that for yourself. The, yes, the, there is a huge cost to humility, but the cost of pride is so much greater. There's a huge cost to generosity, but the cost yeah. of greed is so much worse. You know what I mean? And totally. so there's this there's this sense in which you're inhabiting these new creation practices and postures and orientations. And that's what the community is leading you into. Because so many of these can't be practiced by yourself. How do you practice humility by yourself? You can't. It's a social practice. Right. You know, you same with same with forgiveness. It's a social practice. So anyway, those are just random thoughts. I would literally sit down with the book of Mark and say, giddy up, here we go. (laughs) And and make it my prayer. Jesus opening phrase to your next. Yep. Yep. Jesus, show us, show us your beauty. Help us to see how absolutely radical and beautiful you are. And um and so that I that I see what what's what's conjured in my imagination from reading the gospels is the desire to live like that. Yeah. Because in you know, in Jesus' day to be a, a disciple meant you wanted to do what the rabbi did. It's not just that you knew what the rabbi knew, it's that you were like the rabbi. And Jesus even says this, someone who's, you know, who's fully trained will be like their master. And so anyway, I hope, I hope that makes some sort of sense. Yeah. Jennifer, would you give us feedback on that? (laughs) Do you have anything you want to add? Because I mean, you've, you've been in situations like that. You meet with, you meet with people. Oh, you know something you do, Tim, that I would highly recommend. You, you come alongside people. So Paul never positions himself over people he's trying to influence. He always positions himself under them or beside them. Well, that's the whole thing with discipleship that's rang true to me is that I, in, in, in these, especially in these last few series, maybe over this last year or so, I've really realized how little I know. And having, having discipleship kind of restructured for me mm. and looking at this idea of being a lifelong learner and just pursuing and trying to change and grow and then knowing how much I struggle on a day-to-day basis with humility or pride or anger or all that totally. kind of stuff. Um, I don't see a point in positioning above or like, I want to learn, I want to keep growing. So I like the idea of being a group of people that are pursuing growing and learning together. And we all throw our stuff on the table and sort through it. And so like with this question, like, you know, you and I were just talking that we're going to start meeting with um, college age kids in the first meeting i just want to like hang out and find out like what are you thinking about why are you thinking that what's your story where have you been what's what has brought you to that's what i do in my classroom too it's like this every classroom is a unique i always tell the students on the first day this group of people has never existed before and it will never exist again right so whatever we do in this classroom it has to be unique and we have to we have to respond and react to it that way which is my way of saying i can throw the syllabus out whenever i want to (laughs) (laughs) oh i love that dude but the churches throw the syllabus out too if they ever need to yeah absolutely yeah clearly jesus had a syllabus not at all all right um question number two i'm a brand new listener to the podcast welcome so we'll we'll call this person jennifer also welcome jennifer I'm not sure if listener emails are something you welcome. They are. 
but I've listened to your episode on knowing God's will, and I've been thinking a lot about it. It resonated with things I've been thinking about for a long time, but haven't been able to discuss with many folks. One question I had in response to the really helpful discussion you had about choosing wisdom in place of trying to discern some mystery message from God written just to you, how would you respond to those who would push back by emphasizing a distinction between worldly wisdom and a wisdom that comes from God, a la 1 Corinthians 1, 17-31? It seems like even discussions about being wise can get thrown into this quagmire of, quote, but is it from God questioning that I've seen those who justify really unwise things by making this distinction? So yeah. we could say, listen, don't focus on God's will, focus on wisdom. But then the question could be, well, yeah, but the Bible says there's worldly wisdom and earthly wisdom or worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And so how do you know the difference? And you just kind of reintroduce the shenanigans all over again. You gotta put so, on your 3D glasses. Yes. So uh, Jennifer, we totally agree. And um, and very simply, first of all, in the First Corinthians passage, when it talks about wisdom, and, and when Paul usually talks about wisdom in his epistles, he's talking about the wisdom of Christ crucified, not mm-hmm. wisdom about whether or not I go to, you know, University of Tennessee or Ohio State. Um, so the application of wisdom um, is is it's God's logic. The word wisdom there means logic. The logic of the cross is what the world finds so foolishness, that the Messiah would come by suffering. He would be enthroned by being humiliated. That's what's being discussed there. So the distinction between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom can't be broadened from that. Now, James does talk about two different kinds of wisdom, wisdom from below and wisdom from above, but he's talking about it in terms of how the church relates to each other. The whole epistle of James is really about um, a church that is divided and how it is that the gospel recalibrates their divisions. And if anyone claims to be wise, but yet um, you know, it is unjust towards their brother or sister. That is a wisdom from below. So neither of these circumstances apply to the sort of wisdom that we were talking about, which is the, hey, God, I'm not sure what to do here, but it seemed good to me and the Holy Spirit. Right. So, so the, and the last thing I, I don't, you know, I don't think I said this, um, uh, last, whatever we did that episode, uh, but but Jesus has this great line that, that says wisdom is proved right by her children, mm-hmm. and um, and and so a wise person will be shown to be wise. So somebody can sit and look at you and say, yeah, yeah, but is it godly wisdom? And then they do something you seriously know is unwise. Right. Well, then you know that that's just a distinction they're introducing in order to justify to do what they want. Right. Right. And so um, I would much, and that is why it's so dangerous when we platform people who haven't suffered. Right. We platform people who've had initial and very quick success. Don't walk what, with a limp. They don't walk with a limp. Yeah, there's something that comes, and that just does, doesn't just mean old people, although right. I'm a fan of old people. It, it just means there's a seasoning, baby, that, um, that, that produces wisdom that cannot be gotten any other way yeah so again there is no magic formula to godly wisdom although i'm sure there is wisdom that reflects accurately the priorities and purposes of the kingdom and so i would say yeah that's like godly wisdom but all of that's already out there there's no mystery there right if if i mean if wisdom doesn't 
cause you to love your neighbor, bless those who right. persecute you, right? Love and pursue your enemy, then it's not of Christ, no matter what yeah. you call it or what magic formula you've used to arrive there. Yeah, if it leads you to the capital to beat people with flags, then... I mean, just hypothetically. It may have been unwise. Hypothetically. Oh, right. All right. Well, let's see. We're half an hour and we haven't gotten to the topic. So maybe I'll, I'll postpone this one. Um, we want to do a couple of things. And um, let's see here. I, I want to sort of wrap up um, the Bible convo by making remaking a couple of points that I think are like really important key key and points. these are these yes 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 and so you might be like yeah, yeah I've, I've got that already and and totally man i'm in and um you know awesome um i think that uh i don't know what i was saying um <laughs> i just totally lost my whole train of thought right there <laughs> anyway timothy so you so it, this may be repetitive, but it's so important. Well, it's a lot of information. I think it's helpful to have these kind of recap or consolidating conversations. Yes. Yes. So one of the things that's tr that, that we're dealing with in Western American evangelicalism is a crisis of biblical interpretive authority. Mm. Whose interpretations matter yeah. and whose are valid? And the problem is, for good and bad, we don't have a central ecclesiological storehouse of theology that is the central governing body that says, here are the official pronouncements of the church. You and I are very non-denominational folk. We come from non-denominational background. And uh, the, very, the very idea that some central governing authority would tell us, you know, the boundaries of faith or whatever is kind of, sort of like, oh, well, that... No, that's not how this works. But, you know, all of the people in denominations have been doing this and benefiting from it. And, and obviously there are downsides to it, too. But here's where you run into our downside, right? The people who are considered authorities, uh, at least in the popular imaginations, are just those with the most followers and influencers and the, those biggest booksellers and the celebrities, right? Those are the ones that sort of define the boundaries left and right. It's John Piper looking at Rob Bell and saying, farewell, Rob Bell. Right. Um, at least he rhymed. Yes, exactly. But who's, who's Piper, you know, to determine who's in and who's out? And it, it, we run into, and these days you have, totally different hermeneutical approaches um you know and we've talked about it in terms of infallibility and um uh inerrancy right is do you start with the bible as an inerrant golden tablet thing that fell from heaven or do you start from the bible as this very human work and where you start then determines a great deal where you finish and so we just have a great a great set of big problems yeah. about how it is so so because you can find scholars now to dispute everything you know it used to be the majority of scholars would say no no no, no the bible rules out same-sex erotic behavior uh but now there are some scholars and some good ones who are saying no it doesn't actually yeah. and so it's it's just easier to say well if there's disagreement we can't know and so it's just i guess we'll just sort of proceed as if we couldn't really know 
And so there, there's been so much of that in so many different areas. You can find anybody who can justify almost anything out there. So how in the world do we determine, or not even determine, that's way too strong a word. How do we uh, trust uh, or have some sort of confidence that the Bible is being interpreted rightly? And we've tried to put forward this sort of mix of divine and human elements that tries to honor the Bible that we have, not the Bible maybe that we want. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I would have said, and I was, this was my training in seminary, is that the way you can determine um, correct interpretations from incorrect interpretations is by using the, the grammatical historical method of interpreting the Bible. And it is, you, you study the words and you know the original language and you look at the context and you, you go through and it is very much a process. Right. Um, and, and it's not surprisingly very modern, modernist in the sense that it's a process that you can apply to every text and um, it should generate reasonable uh, conclusions. Uh, the problem, of course, is that we're, we've now seen that, well, you know, the gift of the, the postmodern turn in culture has been, well, there's much more going on in a text than just the process you use. Right. Um, you, you're bringing something to, to the thing, and in your, even in your observing of it, there's something happening to it, yeah. right? Because you can't observe it outside of yourself, and so you're totally. automatically observing it in certain ways, and so... Okay, so there, there's been a reaction to like the, the process to just reader response, right? And this is true in literary circles too, you know this, where the author's intent doesn't mean Jack, it's just whatever the reader's bringing to it, whatever the reader sees. And all of that is equally, you know, authoritative. Um, what we want to propose, and by we, I'm using the royal we, I think Jesus, myself, um, <laughs> Tim Stafford, and um, Richard Hayes and Seth Erie. <laughs> How can you argue with Seth Erie? Is, uh, is that process absolutely matters. Uh, and there are, there are processes, and we've tried to demonstrate, particularly around context and genre, um, that there's all sorts of bad stuff the two avoid. But that, um, that Jesus died to create a new social reality and that the Bible was given to create a new kind of community. And all of this is relatively new for me, but the more I think and study and read, the more I'm, I'm, I am, I don't know, convinced is maybe too strong a word, but um, I feel like, no, no, no. The, 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 the Bible we have is designed to create certain kind of communities. Hmm. Um, and Jesus died to create a kingdom right? He brought a kingdom um, and then invited people into that kingdom, but it's an alternative social reality, right? I mean, yeah. we're just seeing this all over the place. And once you yeah. see it, you can't unsee it. And so then, the, then, then you're looking at the Bible and it's all written about church to church with church in view, right? With right. these tangible, concrete communities. Um, there, there are hardly any sort of abstracted pieces of theology sitting around there. They're all dealing with crises or situations you've got a couple circular letters probably hebrews uh ephesians colossians uh those seem to be sort of hey pass these around um and certainly the gospels were were passed around too as were the other ones but but there were there were specific 
circumstances that called for these sort of responses and all, and, and they were designed to produce fruit in community. And so, and I've, I've said this before, but it's so unbelievably important. The fruitfulness of the community yeah. is the best indicator of the fidelity of interpretation. And, um, and I, and, and, and I think as I've, I've reread Jesus and his, you know, talk about false teaching very often when he talks about false teaching, he's not talking about the doctrine that is false, but he's talking about the teachers that are false. Totally. Yes. And, um, and, and there are pieces in the new Testament where false doctrine is rebuked. You know, the idea that Jesus didn't come in the flesh or the idea that Jesus didn't really physically rise from the dead. Like, of course, but their idea of false doctrine is so much narrower in terms of the content of what is false and so much broader in terms of the character and the damage it does to the community. That's the primary concern. And I, I cannot come away from, uh, I can't help but come away from Richard Hayes's book, um, uh, that, that sort of outlines three different ways that fruit might be manifested. And I just go, man, this is the best I got. So this is how I would evaluate a church. This is how I would evaluate a teacher. This is how I would evaluate a community. This is how I would evaluate a movement, a worship song and anything. Right. Um, and, um, and so, you know, I, I think that when we talk about where does authoritative, um, or interpretive authority reside? Well, it resides in the interaction between the text and the community. Where else could it reside? The author does play a part. The spirit, spirit's inspiration plays a part, but so too the, uh, the audience because, and this, my friend, this is, this is so profound. Paul, I think, um, like he refers to um, Torah as as either the law of death or the law of life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think, I mean, this is what Gombas argues and other apocalyptic Pauline scholars argue, that what Paul's doing there is he's saying that, listen, there are two realms. Uh, there is the old creation in Adam. There is new creation in Christ. When the Torah, and this would be the Bible of, you know, the, the churches of Paul's day, plus some letters that had been written, but not yet formally probably canonized. Um, when the Torah is used in old creation sorts of ways, it didn't bring life, it brought death, it brought yeah. division, it brought, and a great example of that is in Romans, um, where it brought superiority to one group and judgment against another group. And the way that Romans has been used since then to to the right same perfect <laughs> perfect example perfect example, um, and this is a plug for Gombus's Romans podcast by the way, um, <laughs> and uh, and and there are times when Torah has been used to bring life. Now that doesn't mean, I mean we totally we can totally make that subjective and like well I just don't like that the Bible says this and you know that's right. that's death to me that's no that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how it's used in the community, not what it says, how it's used. And there are old creation ways of using it and new creation ways of using it. And so the fruit in the community matters more than just the, the verbal fidelity to certain ideas. 
because you can have communities that are that have wonderful doctrinal statements that right. are unbelievably toxic and that according to paul is the greater heresy hmm. so we're we're on the lookout for heresy but heresy turns out to not not be as connected to content as we thought but much much more connected to the character that the content is produced in the community right so um there are three and this is uh, richard hayes's the moral vision of the new testament um and I'll i don't know the, i'll put it in the show notes well he's a freaking rock star um and and so he and he's using this about ethics he's he's like so when do we as we approach ethics in the new testament how do we know um the difference between you know a proper ethical stance and not and he says well there are three three pieces three markers three images in their community um cross and new creation mm -hmm. and we've covered these i know ad nauseum yeah. but i just we have to end the series right here um <laughs> just reinforcing these so so community what he means by community and that's super important is that the the community is the primary address e of the new testament it's not the individual and and already we're so different if 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 new testament people um uh or i should say people immersed in the new testament begin to see themselves as part of a community and not just as isolated individuals as part of a, an affinity group you know um and that the church is actually a political reality and not just a, a teaching worship event then you're already ahead of the game by just seeing things that way um the biblical story um is shared in the way that it is because it reflects and forms um a certain kind of community and as we've argued that community is characterized by justice and again justice isn't some crazy woke progressive word justice is the same word as righteousness in the bible and paul talks all the time about the righteousness of god and producing a community of righteousness um, but justice is just it's just a way to refer to the steps that people take in a social reality to restore shalom when it's been broken yeah and sometimes those steps are personal and sometimes those steps are corporate and sometimes those steps are structural yeah and we get examples of all those in in the New Testament, right? Yeah. We we talked about this. This was so important to understand. And wisdom to see those distinctions within those different categories and how to go about that. Yes, yes, a lot yes, of times yes, those exactly. things are. I mean, those kind of things are big touting points for churches, but the right. realities of them are often different. Right, right. So it's not just a community, although you know, in, inhabiting. An identity as a part of a community would be a huge step for most Americans. Yeah. But it's a community that's characterized by the ongoing commitment to mutual flourishing. Yeah. The putting off, and, and we'll get more into this in, when we get to cross, but the putting off of power dynamics or social fractures and instead the hard work uh, of reconciliation and unity in the midst of all sorts of diversity. <laughs> what could be more relevant now? Right, exactly, exactly. And God never, you know, never, ever, ever says, hey, you're, you know, when you're in the church, you're not a woman or you're not black or you're not gay or you're not whatever. But it's that those ways of distinguishing ourselves 
are subsumed under something much bigger. You know, we're all one in Christ is what he'll say, whether it's right. Jew or Greek, slave or free or whatever. And so, um, so, so community, but a, ki- a certain kind of community. Um, a community, I mean, and, and, and think about all of the things, the dynamics that such a community would demand, right? Forgiveness, reconciliation, generosity, truth-telling, lament, right? Listening, hospitality. I mean, right? There yeah. it is. There it is. But this community, um, if it's a vibrant community, is going to be, secondly, cross-shaped. And Hayes has this great line. He's just like, Jesus' death on a cross is the paradigm for our faithfulness to God in this world. And then here's this quote, and it's so money. Our actions are therefore to be judged not by their calculable efficiency in producing desirable results, but rather by their correspondence to Jesus' example. So Driscoll, I I was critical of Driscoll the moment he showed up on the scene. And people would always say, yeah, but look at the fruit of his ministry. Right. And I I shouldn't say it like that. I mean, I I just wasn't a fan. Uh, And I'm no no hero. You know, I I don't mean to present it like I knew what was going on. I'm just saying I was critical of him in some ways. And the, the counter I always got was, yeah, but look at how many people are coming to Jesus. Right. Yeah. And what Hayes is saying is... Those results don't matter. That's not what Christian faithfulness is. Christian faithfulness is how close does the person or community follow the example of Jesus rather than what kind of results do they produce? Yeah. And you're like, holy crap. Yeah. Um, And so we had a whole episode on, on what it means to be cruciform, right? The, the, I mean, you cannot be cross shaped and coerce people. You cannot be cross-shaped and threaten violence. You cannot be cross-shaped and um, and claim your rights as a pattern of life. Um, to be cross-shaped is to put all of those things aside for the sake of the other. Now, and that means, of course, that we still love all those who claim to be Christians who aren't doing those things, right? We don't we we don't get to make enemies. You don't have. Right. Right on crosses, you don't get to make more more enemies. You've been you've been relegated from the human pool into something that's now just as good as dead. And this is just getting into the logic of the cross, right? That you mentioned earlier. Yes, that how that, that logic breaks itself down. That, well, that logic does not allow you to exalt yourself, right? Because the way to exalt yourself is through your humiliation. Yeah, and the way to gain victory is by losing. That's why it's the upside down. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the wisdom, you know, that Paul talks about. That's the wisdom. He says, man, the powers, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory had they known this wisdom. Yeah. Right. I mean, no one saw this coming for crying out loud. Now for us, it's all old hat, but none of us really believe it. Right. Right. We don't believe the world works this way because the world doesn't work this way. So the church is to be the social embodiment of this upside down way of Jesus. And of course that doesn't happen easily overnight, right? I mean, we're just the squirreliest group of people in the history of the world, but that's the aim. Yeah. The that's aim is part of it too. The fact that our inability or the unease, it's simple on paper, right? Like you just diagrammed out how this looks like these are the, oh. these are the choices you make. This is how you oh. do that. Oh, but easy that, peasy. 
the unease of it has to be a piece of the puzzle. I mean, just the, I've, I've been, yeah. How you interact with a text that does, like we've gone through the inerrancy and we've gone through the, the fact that man's handprints, people's handprints are all over this text and all over this, you know, where our blood is in yeah. the mix. Right. But the, the other side of that, the D the deistic side, I don't the, the God side of that text too, like complicates a lot of the, of the way that we interact with it. It's just so much bigger than, yeah, we just, we just take so much of the fuel out of it with the way that we use it. Right. And interpret right. it and right. apply it and dictate it. And, Yep. So if I'm discipling somebody, the goal of my reading Mark is to form a community committed to the restoring of shalom with each other and to begin to inhabit postures of life that and modes of life that are cross-shaped. Yeah. Because that's where you experience resurrection, right? According yeah. to Paul. Yeah. And um, pretty simple on paper. Oh, on paper. So is love your neighbor. Yep, on paper. Pretty easy. I understand that. And then new creation. And this is something um, I think we've talked a lot about, but I just want to re-hit. That, that there, are, um, there are two ages that currently exist. In, in the Jewish conception of things, from what I can tell, it was thought that the present evil age of of sin and death and you know trespass and injustice that that would that age would be wiped away by the coming of messiah mm. and what would be inaugurated would be a new age the age of messiah they called it the age to come right and their sin and death would be dealt with um isaiah talks about a new exodus and uh, the prophets talk about, Isaiah talks about, you know, people streaming to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is then lifted up over her enemies. Right. Yahweh takes up residence again uh, among Israel. Israel is at peace. Everyone sees the glory of Yahweh and the knowledge of God, you know, covers the world as, you know, waters cover the sea, right? It's this incredible picture. Yeah. And that, that, that is a political vision that got even more political when Rome was in charge. It's also a very uh, poetic vision. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, read from Isaiah 40 on. And it's, I mean, this is what Jesus is doing, although he's doing it in such surprising ways. He's not doing it nationally, which is yeah. fascinating. Right. But, um, but that was the idea that there would come a day and it was called the day of the Lord when God would come, come in judgment and in restoration. Yeah. And that, that day would be the outpouring of the spirit. The, the, a new covenant would be written on people's hearts and the, 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 the dead would be raised, you know, and the righteous to everlasting life and the, the unrighteous to everlasting punishment. Um, and that was a pretty fair conception of how life was supposed to go the issue is that jesus shows up and his ministry bears unmistakable signs of messiah but it's happening in the middle of the present evil age he's not <laughs> ending evil he's not ending death and sin but yet here are unmistakable signs of the spirit's presence and then when he rises from the dead the reason that's such a big deal and so surprising 
is it wasn't there wasn't it wasn't supposed to be one dude in the middle of history it was supposed to be the whole general resurrection of the dead and and so here's jesus rising from the dead and 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 what begins to dawn on the new testament writers and this accounts for so many crazy ways they try to get their arms around this is how in the heck is jesus the messiah because he is the, he's risen from the dead. The spirit has been poured out. A new covenant has been written on the hearts. And yet, Israel is still subjugated. Sin and death are still loose in the world. The power and the principalities are still at work. How can that be? And so the way Paul will conceive of this, and he, I think he takes his cues from Jesus, because Jesus sort of talks about the kingdom as being here and the kingdom is still coming, Yeah, is that Paul will talk about we're the people upon you know whom the the fulfillment of all the ages has has come and yet we're still in the middle of the present evil age so instead of instead of two ages there or, or some even thought there were two messiahs that would come it's 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 like we've got one messiah coming twice and the first time to inaugurate the kingdom and then the second time to consummate it and fulfill yeah, jesus, it jesus jesus brother frank is going to show up in a few years and and take over yeah absolutely oh here comes frank again yeah <laughs> totally and and so so we live at the intersection of two ages now to use a temple analogy all right in the old testament sin was conceived of as pollution and temple space space had to be cleansed so often what you would do on yom kippur um, is that you would cleanse the temple space, and then you would cleanse the high priest, and then you would cleanse the community with the scapegoat, right? You would, there was, so you were looking for clean space. The idea was mm -hmm. that there were unpolluted space. Yeah. And, um, and so Jesus, I, that's the, the image, is that he creates unpolluted new creation space yeah. in the wake of his resurrection, right? And, in, and through the coming of the Spirit, we partake and, are, and enter into that realm, that new creation space with him. And so when we talk about what Hayes is talking about is if we're looking at how a community interprets the Bible, we're looking first, is it a community that is, that is characterized by mutual commitments to shalom and, and the hard work of that? Yeah. Because um, that was the point of the Bible is to facilitate those kinds of communities. Um, those communities. And then the wisdom of deciphering what that means, like what does shalom look like, and yes. what does that implicate, and yes, well, how do you judge the fruit of that? Well, yes, well, you judge it by seeing if it's cross shaped, right? So, so community dynamics that are uh, around um, humility and um, reconciliation and reciprocity and mutuality and the lifting up of the lowly and the bringing down of the high. Those are cross-shaped dynamics, yeah. Um, and then new cre the, the the and then that that witnesses to the reality of of that this is new creation space, right? Right. And so I mean, think about like I was just I was um, thinking about Romans twelve. I mean, this is what new creation dynamics looks like. All right. So if you find someone who doesn't embody this perfectly, because good luck with that, but someone who's committed to this. Um, Frank hate what, does. Love, love, Frank is in. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. 
I mean, just right there. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. How many of those? I mean, think about all the social dynamics involved. Yep. So how do you disciple people? Lifetime. But those, but that's new creation. Yep. Yeah. Right? Do not repay evil for evil. That's that's cruciform right there. Yes. Um, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as so far as it depends on you, live at peace, live at shalom with everyone, right? Be committed to rooting out injustice and, and promoting flourishing. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, right? That his judgment is real and wrath is real as we've talked about before. And then he says, you know, do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I mean, my goodness. So the goal of the right reading of the text is to be those kinds of people. Yeah. I mean, how we doing? So it doesn't matter how great our doctrinal statement turns out to be. Totally. Um, and it doesn't matter. Uh, now, now that doesn't mean, of course, of course, these communities aren't perfect. And so there's always, there always, there's always going to be corruption. There's always going to be idolatry. The point isn't whether or not the community is perfect and, and faithfully embodying this, because we won't always be. The point, rather, is, is this what we're aiming at? Is this how salvation is pictured? Is this how the Bible um, is to be understood and practiced, right? Is this the goal? Is this the, yeah. is this the telos of the community? And, this- when it's, and when it fails, do you reposture and continue? Like that is what being a student is, is that's what learning is. They're the way make, you, you make the way you actually, you from it. yes. Oh, Tim, I'm sorry. I'm so excited. I'm talking over you. <laughs> the best way to tell whether it's a cross-shaped new creation community is when someone sins. Exactly. When there's a high-profile failure, because yeah. then you'll know. Yeah. Is this a sin management organization that protects well, its reputation? Yeah. And that's all we're seeing, uh, again, in on just a large scale, on the large entities that exist in this country. But as really heinous abuse things come out, a lot of it has been how to save face and less about the justice of the situation. Right. And, you know, that always makes me think about tying millstones around your neck and jumping in the sea. Cause like the, what that does to my friends who already think that Christianity is bananas. Right. When they see this and they're like, well, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm with you. I, I mean, totally people, agree with you. Yeah. I mean, listen, no no one needs to be told when they see old creation dynamics. I mean, people are just leaving the church. Yes. No one has yes. to no one has to announce this. Yep. That's not good news for anybody. Right? So so I'm I'm just fine with people leaving. Um, because I, I don't, you know, I'm good with people leaving um bad things. Um in order to find better things yeah. for sure i don't know man but this is just such a new way for me to talk to see my life to yes. see my vocation to see the gospel to see church yeah. to see bible study like when i read the bible is is this what's being born in me um 
or am I using it in old creation ways, you know, to, to judge, to rip. And again, there's good discernment. We've talked about this, of course, of course, of course. But um, man, I, I, I just sit and so hunger to be a part and dedicate myself to being a part and trying to build yes. a community that looks like this. Yeah, I totally agree. And when you were talking about like the, why did the Messiah come mid-sentence and not as the explanation yes. point or the period of the sentence? Like, yeah, yeah. There's something yeah. so profound about what that really implicates and means for us. Like, yeah. The now and not yet of why we are trying so hard to crack this code and like yep. understand how it is to embody the kingdom that he did establish, but in order to move towards the kingdom that is coming or however you want to play that out. But there's something so intrinsic and so important about why we're mid sentence. Oh, it's so and, good. And I don't, I don't know what it is fully, but I, I'm, I think it's so, I'm so curious and I, I think there's the mystery of that and the mystery of what I was saying earlier about the Bible being like the God side of this, like, I think that when, as soon as we start saying that the Bible is not inerrant, people are automatically like, so you don't think God is speaking to it? Or like the God is, it's like we're saying that God's not a part of the conversation anymore. We're like, oh, well, if, but I don't, I don't believe that at all. I know you don't either. That there, there is this other side to it that is an entity that we don't fully understand and is communicating with us in a way that we're trying to posture to hear better. It's just, there's, I don't know, there's just so much to it yeah. that, and there seems to be, it just seems that Jesus came in the middle, that that was fully intentional, obviously mm -hmm. on his side of the fence. I'm sure he's just like, yeah, on our side, it's like, well, what does that mean? Why, why, what does this all look like? Why, why are we, why are we being called to participate so much in something that is coming? Yeah. Why are we being called to embody these new creation dynamics now? You know, there's something to that that I don't, I don't fully get, but I'm, I'm with you. Like, I think this is so much more compelling and I'm so much more like invested and, and curious and excited about what the outcome is. Yeah, man, me too. That's well said, Tim. Well, listen, gang, we'll, we'll wrap it here. Um, would love your thoughts, man, would really love your thoughts on some of this stuff. We'll be moving on to other topics. We've got a couple questions I didn't get to. But we are so very, very grateful uh, that we get to do this with you. And so thank you. Thank you for all the ways that you push and, um, and correct us. And man, we're just honored to do it. So <laughs> may the selfish. Lord. I love this because I'm just, I'm learning. And I get to just sit here and pick apart. And so. Oh, me too. Me too. Anyway, folks, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you, and in these days, may he give us peace. Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash voxology podcast. 
and on Instagram at Voxology. Thank you, thank you, thank you for walking the long road with us.